Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit ViralGrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Sarah Hopstetter, president of Profitero. And I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Rachel, I feel like we have a backlog of fantastic guests because when we put out our first round of invitations, we got so much positive response that now we've got this embarrassment of riches. We're very lucky in the podcast world and in life. Yes. Yes, we are. One of those people that we recorded a while back, but gosh, I'm so excited to bring forward is Tarek Hassan, who is the CMO of Peco, and boy, is he in the right space at the right time. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how much can happen in a several-month time period. Peco has gone public since the time of the recording. Ticker symbol, woof, it's so cute. It's so brilliant, and it just makes me think, is there some sort of brainstorm room that happens before an IPO where you're just throwing four-letter words at a wall? Yes, Yes. As somebody who took a company public back in, believe it or not, 1999. Yes. This is like a legit kind of a thing. It's almost like when you're coming up with like double secret project plans and you're like, we're going to call this project Starship. That That's also a brainstorm in and of itself. Very, very good use of time. Well, Woof is brilliant, but I wonder what else was on the list. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's anybody with rough <laughs> or meow. I don't know, man. While these words sound fun, it is insane to think about what's happened over the course of the past year to the pet industry. I believe in just the U.S. alone, there was an increase of 4% of new households acquiring pets, which now puts the pet industry in the U.S. over $100 billion. I mean, that's pretty crazy. And it's not just dogs and cats. You've got small pets like hamsters and guinea pigs and chinchillas. There, There's something about having a bigger family without having a bigger family as well. Not just for comfort, but just overall. Well, for everyone who's listening that has a a dog or an exotic pet, we're really excited to bring Tarek onto the show. Hello, our friend. Hi, thanks for having me. So good to see both of you. I know we got New York in the house here. What, what? do. Tarek, one of the things that I thought was interesting about the pandemic is its impact on pet ownership in the U.S., 
You know, it's been widely publicized that around 33% of Americans have at least considered getting a pet now since social distancing has become the norm. How has this impacted your business? Well, look, I can tell you that consideration number is actually translated into a real number. A recent study showed that about 35% of all households have actually added a pet during this period. And so I think it's affected in a couple of ways. It's affected it for those who already had a pet. Like so many of us are spending more time at home and starting to notice more things about all the relationships in our lives. That's holding true to the pet that's in the family already as well. And all of a sudden, if you're home a little bit more, you may be noticing that that dog bed's looking a little bit tattered and a little bit old and you're noticing behaviors and you're trying to get through Zoom and it's not just the five-year-old that's distracting you, but it's potentially the pet that's distracting you. So what are the toys that you need, et cetera? So we're seeing a change in behavior in those who already have pets. And then as you started, we've seen a pretty significant increase in the category of pets brought to the home, a new pet or adding yet another pet to the home. And, and that's obviously driven an opportunity for us. What are the products that people are turning to more in store versus online? And how do you see a difference between, let's say, click and collect or delivered via cardboard? Like, how are you seeing that those changes happening and have those behaviors leveled off during certain times of this year? It's a great question, Sarah. We actually saw it take place in sort of three phases. The first phase, the onset of the pandemic, you saw a lot of behaviors, frankly, pretty similar to what you saw in mass and grocery for human supplies. So you saw the stock up phase. We saw a similar effect of people not rolling the dice on digital, actually getting their hands on it. And, and, you know, this initial sort of rush to pantry load. As the pandemic continued to worsen and you saw digital behaviors increase, it took place in a couple of different ways. Yes, our e-commerce growth started to happen pretty considerably, but we also saw the significant increase in, in BOPIS and my online pickup and store. And as a result of that, how to address that kind of increase created some innovation for us. We, we had been piloting in roughly about 12 stores, curbside pickup it was sort of like, okay, test over, we're going national. So that, you know that's now out national. We did that within about a week. And then did it initially through an innovative model and then added technology to enhance the experience. So now that we're actually tied into the customers, things that might've taken, frankly, a year in traditional situations, all of a sudden expedited moving forward. Now what we've seen is a significant amount of support back to store, not all the way back to pre-COVID, but some levels that that were similar to what we would have seen pre-COVID. We're starting to see this, this sort of combined mix We did some specific measurements around key segments and those segments that previously were lower in terms of their digital use, as you can imagine, their e-commerce use is up. And and I will say it's up. It's not up as significantly as I thought it might have been, but it's up noticeably. And is it reflective of where the pandemic is striking throughout the country? Are you seeing a lot of people in Florida go into stores or is this just consistent nationally? The answer is yes and no. Weekly, we take a look at not only what's happening from a business performance perspective, but we also look at the context of the map of what's happening with the pandemic, where it's spiking, where it's leveling, et cetera. But as you know, there's so many dynamics that are driving market behaviors that ha- that are well beyond what the reality of the pandemic is or not, right? Other influences that we've seen in our political environment. And so I would love to tell you that in markets where we see significant spikes, we see this you know, step back and movement towards e-commerce. It's just simply not the case. We saw in a number of states where either the disbelief or counter voices around the severity of what's taking place, we still saw some, you know, some pretty significant store traffic going on in markets where you would have thought conditions of that market would have suggested that might not be a great idea. We have focused on a really simple approach to this. And it starts with, first of all, keeping our partners safe and thinking about the business model we put in to keep those folks who are on the front line of our stores 
helping customers, making sure we're feeding pets. We are the doctor's office to pets. Grooming is not just about your pet looking good. There are health and wellness implications, but we're doing things where we're limiting how we approach some of those things. So service offering would change. So we're not just encouraging unnecessary behavior. But no, Rachel, I wish I could tell you that it's simply a straight line to what you're seeing in market conditions. It's just not. Do you see a demographic shift though, like in terms of movement to e-commerce? Have you seen that people that might be in more of an immunocompromised environment that still need the products that you sell moving to e-commerce? And do you think that behavior will stay? So there's no question. I mentioned earlier, we've looked at some of our core segments and, and, and one of our most significant segment skews a little bit older. And the, and the pre-COVID, you would have seen a much lower e-commerce engagement. That has moved pretty significantly. And of those folks we've taught, we've, uh, we've been in contact with, 30% said it was the first time they'd actually been using e-commerce in our category. And the vast majority of them have said, I think it's roughly 90% of them said they will continue post. I'm not sure that's a big surprise, right? I think it's COVID created the experience. It created the, you know, that maybe this isn't so hard. And oh, wow, there really are some benefits to this behavior that I, then of course, we don't think it's going to necessarily change back. Yeah, We do believe that the continued relationship with our pet care centers will continue because we're in a category that it's not simply about the movement of products. It's about the, also the connection of information, the reassurance of care. And so some of those elements will, we know are going to be continued to be critical in terms of the human interaction. You and I had a conversation, I think it might've been like a year and a half ago. And we were talking and you were talking about like the reimagination of the brick and mortar environment and using your store for more than just being a store to buy product, but really to be overall wellness center, like your whole vision for the brand. And I was like, oh man, that's super cool. So the brick and mortar can't go anywhere if you're going to be a destination. So e-commerce is obviously part of the equation, but you kind of need the stores. What's been amazing a year and a half later, I can talk about not simply that being a concept to this past month. We use it under the guise of celebrating the removal of shock collars from our stores. But that was really our, our point of saying, yeah, this is just the next thing that we're doing because we are now Petco, the health and wellness company. We've rebranded the company that well, we're going to continue to position ourselves that way and make those decisions. And in fact, we aren't even referring to them as stores anymore. We talk about creating Petco pet care centers, and that is how we'll continue to move forward. And it sounds like a small semantic, but it, it, it isn't. It drives very significant changes in terms of how you think about what the role of your physical environment is, the decisions you make around that physical environment, and then the technology and the support of data that you use to create a different experience for your customer, which is now starting to take hold for us in a really exciting way. And I also imagine the way that you probably measure employee success, like around care as opposed to sales. Not only how we measure employee success and engagement, but we're using the same measurement system, how we measure employee engagement is the same way that we measure customer satisfaction. And we're doing that with a, with a specific intent to, to ensure that there's an interrelationship and a mirroring of data because of the experiences are interrelated. That, that's the first thing. The second thing, it also impacts the talent we continue to look for as we move forward. And this started, again, equally as we were moving down a pathway of how we wanted to position the company. We were also moving down a pathway of, of really restructuring and transforming how we sell as a company. And our, our chief uh, pet care officer, Justin Titchy has done a tremendous job of changing the selling culture of the organization from very transactional, you know, find that item in aisle three to the right, 
to fully engaging with the customer, understanding what the needs of that customer are. And then now we're enabling that with each of our partners will have tablets in their hand as we move further and further to getting a single pane of glass view of that customer and and really informed data on them. The ability to put that in the hands of our partners so they can have an informed conversation. So it's not just Sarah that's come in the door, but we know Sarah's in the door and she's had a couple of guinea pigs and she continues to be a companion animal parenting. And, and we know something about her to engage in that dialogue. So it's changing not only how we measure our success in, uh, of our employees, but it's changing the, the structure of who we're looking for. And it's changing the experiences that we're designing uh, in those centers. That's awesome. We spoke a lot about organic growth in your category, what you're doing from essentially how you're going to market and changing the way that you're operating, the competitive landscape. So outside of your category, you know, we've continued to hear rumblings that out-of-stock issues at places like Amazon, Target, Walmart have actually created opportunity for other retailers. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, Amazon struggled to get fitness equipment out. A lot of long-tail fitness retailers all of a sudden were winning. In the pet category... Have you seen market share shift during this time based maybe on inventory dynamics or other things that are happening? So what I would tell you is we've definitely seen the demand of the category shift as we've talked about, and we've been incredibly successful in responding to that demand uh, with our customers. It won't surprise you that in those moments you're describing in the traditional D2C and that's for direct to consumer model, having a brick and mortar infrastructure played a very different strategic outcome for us in that those locations became micro distribution systems for us. While we saw competitors in our category slip to seven to 10 day delivery, we were able to maintain a two day at, I think at our worst, you know, sort of three to five at our worst kind of situation in certain categories because of the use of tying the infrastructure and the data and that order data back to specific pet care centers where we could ship from store, which was also something we'd been piloting prior to the pandemic. But then as a result of the pandemic expedited how quick we rolled that out. And we moved from doing that in around 25 locations to about 900 locations. It was a significant strategic advantage to our success during this period. Yeah. You were talking about your knowledge of my guinea pig shopping habits, that all that fabulous data allows for potentially a great retail media business, which I believe you guys have. And we're seeing CVS a couple of months ago said, oh yeah, we're going to start investing in that. Like it was brand new. (laughs) Um, But many others have been investing in this to varying degrees of success. How are you thinking about the future of retail media? So I think for us in just total candor, we were so focused on getting the hygiene around the, the data structure for the benefit of our customer and the experience as a business. That's really been the core focus for us. But as you rightly call out, Sarah, to have large audiences, I'll give you an example, our loyalty program, it's made up of a, you know, a very large audience set. 85% of all of our transactions take place on our loyalty platform. So that gives you a, a direct line into, into that audience. We have started to look at some things. Predominantly, I would tell you the way we're looking at it, Sarah, is in its first phase is how we partner and create a, a, a unique and a differentiated and a more valuable experience to our vendor partners in our, in our aisles. And so how do we take the great brands that are, that are with Petco and continue to give them a unique experience and leverage that audience data to their benefit and the programs that we do together? That, that's phase one for us. Phase two is particularly as we continue to mature our e-commerce capabilities. We've just relaunched our site this past week. 
um, that becomes then a, obviously very valuable real estate for us to think about the next generation, which is how we start to think about that as a, an open media landscape. And, and we're nascent there, but certainly on the, on the, on the plan. Rachel. So I think it comes down to the final question, which I'm excited to see what Tark has to say. What's the bravest thing that you've ever done? You know, I love this question. And, and I, I actually have to appreciate you guys letting me know that question ahead of time, because you cannot believe how far into my head that I've probably gone thinking through not only the list of those things, and then probably saying, oh, no, I, I, I can't talk about that one. <laughs> but no, I, it came down to, I think there's two elements for me, one personal and one professional. And, and I guess the first one that's personal was driven by professional. I was, I don't know, three years into my career, and I started in the advertising agency business when uh, I had a unique opportunity when the agency world was starting to look at consolidation of global businesses and was asked if I wanted to go to Dubai to run the, the business for the Middle East and Africa. And that was in, I won't age myself quite that far, but let's just say it was, it was in a, a previous century when people didn't instantly automatically know where Dubai was on a map and think of it in some of the, the way they do today. And I can assure you that it, it was certainly not the resort location that it is today. I, I, when I was there, um, they got their first Fridays, <laughs> just to tell you how, how small the market was back then. And I hadn't really been anywhere at that point in my life, you know, a couple of spring breaks here and there and just made the decision to go for it and moved across the world, took on a massive account that was, you know, had big opportunity, uh, called a couple of former colleagues and convinced them to, to pack their bags and move over there with me and, and, and stand up the business. And, and looking back now, you know, the naivety of youth was probably on my side and, and it proved to be just an amazing experience. And then I would say professionally, 2001, barely a month after 9-11, having the opportunity to go join a startup agency that there were more questions than there were answers, but turned out to be one of the most amazing eight year uh, journeys of my life and my career uh, that frankly has led to so many elements of, of what I've been able to do today. That's awesome. Was there an exit of this startup? So our startup was actually a startup as a result of uh, agency uh, conflict Um there were a number of us that were working on different parts of the PepsiCo and Quaker Oats business when Pepsi acquired Quaker Oats. At the same time, that acquisition occurred the same time our, our, the agency I was with was acquired and had Coke in its network. And so it created a conflict. And so it, it spun out about $400 million in, in billings. And the question was, does it just move into a holding company and get you know spread out across existing agencies? And we somehow managed to convince them to allow us to take that, that initial seed and create an agency. Unfortunately, it was a great experience. The exit was more than the agency no longer exists. And I would say the exit was a number of tremendous relationships. Uh, one of them, which actually led to the job that I'm in right now, who was a client then and is, is now my boss and CEO of Petco. So different kind of exit, Rachel, but um, nonetheless, one that's been incredibly impactful and had a big influence on both me personally and my career. Great story. Always love the positive endings. And, you know, when you find somebody that you work with that you really, truly respect and enjoy working for, there's, it kind of just keeps bringing you back in. But I will tell you, when we talked about this being like our pivotal question at the end, Rachel said, so what's the bravest thing you've ever done? I'm like, no, you go first. And she just like rattled it off, which is in the first episode. I'm like, wow, you just like knew that. And I had to go to my husband. 
I'm like, what's the bravest thing I've ever done? He's like, marry me. <laughs> like, and, and, and the truth is it is, but I, I also, I had to do a lot of like soul searching to answer the question. I, I don't think we meant to be nearly as introspective, but it has brought out such interesting learnings from so many different people. I think the thing that's interesting about it is it's because when you now articulate what that, that thing is, at the time you did it, you didn't think of it in the context of, of being brave. When I made the decision to sort of pick up and move across the world, it was enthusiastic, excited, kind of nervous, but figured, you know what, I can, I can always come back. And it's only now that I kind of look back and think, and especially on a couple of things we, we were setting out to do there. Good Lord, what was, I, what was I possibly thinking? I made that decision in like a two-day visit. And I try to remember those things because I think they help us in what we do today to continue to try and not lose that, that spirit, which isn't always easy. Well, that's, that's a great way uh, <laughs> to wrap this puppy up. So, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't even mean to go pet metaphor. <laughs> Tarek, thank you so much for joining us today. I am, um, you know, you're, you're one of those special guests when, when we were thinking about who to bring on, Rachel said, Hey, why don't we have Tarek? Cause we were thinking about it more from the brand perspective. I'm like, oh, okay, which one of us should ask? Because we both were so excited to do so. So Rachel got to ask, but the two of us were so excited that we had somebody that we we know, we love, we consider a friend and somebody that we look up to. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Just a, just a coffee talk where they managed to throw a few mics in front of us. So I appreciate the opportunity. One day in person. Soon enough. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking touch of truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there